You talk about the, the weight that was on your shoulders. Is there a moment that stands out for you? It's a huge decision for the government to uh, lock the country down. That effective immediately, we will move to alert level three nationwide. After 48 hours, the time required to ensure essential services are in place, we will move to level four. And that was incredibly early on in the pandemic and it was, it was nowhere in our plans or even in our ideas that we might have done that. And so to give advice that was the basis for that decision was, it was a, a huge thing. These decisions will place the most significant restrictions on New Zealanders' movements in modern history. It was every day, every decision really, and every bit of advice. There was a lot at stake. And so that, I guess it's that combined weight of all those things that really created the, the challenge and the intensity. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail I talk to Newsroom's three political journalists about Ashley Bloomfield, the public servant who became the face of New Zealand's fight against a 1 in 100 year pandemic. I love that tweet that you put out after the announcement. You said Ashley Bloomfield is gone, Burger, and he replied, I'm here, Burger, till July. Yeah, he's... Um... He's, he really got me there, actually, because my uh, Twitter notifications are just imploding and just about breaking my computer. I'm just getting bombarded with messages of, we'll miss you, marry me, I love you. That's Newsroom's political editor, Joe Moyer. Initially, anyway, he was quite straight and wooden and, you know, you couldn't really get much of a sense of who he was when he, he was first at those 1pm presses from the uh, press conference on Wednesday, the, he revealed a bit more of himself. Yeah, no, he, I think over time that has happened really, like you've seen more and more of his personality um, as things have gone on and particularly because, you know, there are lighter moments and there has to be because, you know, when a pandemic's gone on for two years, it can't all be as much as it is very much life and death and, and, and very serious. You know, we have seen lots of those sort of um gaffes from the podium and you know Ashley Bloomfield has enjoyed and been a part of those moments as, as much as anyone else and and even that press conference he was asked. This is kind of a weird question in the middle of a pandemic but do you have a f- favourite moment from the last couple of years? He just looked at Chris Hipkins and they both burst out <laughs> laughing and then the entire press gallery just burst out laughing uh, because we all knew what he was thinking. Well there are some moments that are more memorable than others uh, <laughs> and we all knew that he was referring to the spread, spread your legs um, sort of gaffe that Chris Hipkins had, had done. Look, it is a challenge in higher density areas for people to get outside and to uh, spread their legs when they are um, uh, when, they're, when they're surrounded by other people. I should go and stretch my legs. I'm sure you'll all have fun with me later. <laughs> Which um, was in response to a question of mine, so I feel as if responsible being tangled up in this as well. And then, he, and then he kind of thought, oh, well, I, you know, that can't be my answer to this question. So then moved on to... Hitting such high vaccination rates and the incredible position that's put our country in, in particular in protecting our, our more vulnerable population groups and our, our older people, our disabled people, our, our, our um, poorer communities, uh, has just been such a highlight. And the work of our vaccination team has just been outstanding. And you have really kind of got to know him a bit better. And I think, too, his answers have probably over time become a little bit more deep and a little bit more thoughtful, too, and he's got more comfortable with, um, you know, using his own experience or talking about 
sort of his own interpretations of things rather than just keeping to that sort of very bureaucratic speak. I guess partly that's also because he spent a lot of time with the people asking him the questions too. I mean, he knows most of our names. Um, He engages with most of us, you know, outside of those press conferences um, and has just over time become more relaxed as a result too and has probably just got more comfortable with the fact that, you know, these things are being live streamed or, or broadcast on live television or whatever. So, yeah, you have, I think you've really seen that sort of more human side come out. It's a bit of a weird thing, right, because he's still here for another four months and and there's obviously a lot that could happen there. Mark Dolder is Newsroom's senior political reporter and he's talking there about Wednesday's press conference. So I think there's, you know, people trying to strike a balance between, um, you know, looking back at obviously what has been a very significant period of time and, you know, he's played a very significant role in that. What I found interesting is these personal questions. Is there going to be karaoke at your leaving party and what song are you singing? Heck yes. Uh, well, actually, I famously did a duet with Minister Viral to Staying Alive. Um, but probably I'll, I'll kick off with Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. It really um, reflects how he has become more than a bureaucrat to people. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think we saw that way back in the in the first lockdown. Um, you know, to, to a certain extent, he was one of the only people that people would have had sort of a regular one-way, admittedly, interaction with um, outside of their own household. So he, he sort of became a symbol or a figure in the minds of, of most people in New Zealand. Oh, you know, almost a character, really. You know, it, it just shows that among the many other different changes that have come as a result of COVID, it, it's kind of blurred that that line between being a bureaucrat or a public servant and, and being someone who, who actually has quite an important sort of public communication, public face role. And and really incredibly powerful. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been, you know, not the most influential person in New Zealand, but uh, certainly up there. You know, it, it, the, the COVID response without Ashley Bloomfield would have looked very different. I don't know what it would have looked like, but it would have been very different. And that's what I'm wondering. I mean, how much say does he have in those final decisions? Yeah, I think it's changed over the course of the pandemic. Early on, I, you know, the, what the government did was very much in line with the advice that they received, which, of course, is not just written by Ashley, but it's informed by, um, you know, some consultation with outside experts. But, of course, the people within the Ministry of Health who, who live and breathe this stuff. But um, it would have been Ashley's job to take that advice to ministers, to cabinet, and to say, this is what we think you should do. And and from the stuff that's been released from, you know, March and April of 2020, it's, it's pretty clear that when Ashley said, we think you should do this um, in almost every single scenario, the government then did it. The, the one back then that stands out is, is that he had also recommended stopping New Zealand citizens from returning to the country. And... Um, the, that cabinet had decided that was a step too far. But but by and large, in the early stages of the pandemic, you know, Ashley's health advice was was followed to the word. As time went on and, and as we all sort of got a bit more comfortable with, with COVID and, and started to understand it a bit better, I think media felt more comfortable questioning him and uh, ministers as well made decisions that, that didn't always go with exactly what he had recommended. Um, Oftentimes, they were more cautious. Occasionally, they were willing to take greater risks. When you say more cautious, you mean the government was more cautious than what he recommended? 
That's right. There, there are times where um, Ashley had recommended, you know, an easing of restrictions or said in one example that uh, he didn't think mask mandates were necessarily needed to the sort of breadth that they ended up being implemented. And, and the government had gone ahead and said, actually, we think we will just keep this extra protection in place, you know, because they were more risk averse, essentially. Right. And that's kind of interesting, isn't it, Mark, that a public health leader, that he would be more willing to take risks than the government? Yeah, I think it's not like it is always this way, but, but there are a few notable instances where that has happened. You know, to some extent, it is the job of the ministers to to make the final call, and whatever happens as a result of that would be their responsibility. So, you know, a, a level of caution is um, certainly understandable there. You know, there have been cases where the government hasn't been as cautious as it should have been. Um, that stands out uh, when you look at something like the case of Delta that had come to Wellington in June of last year, and, and the region moved to level two. And then if nothing came of that, but we saw a few weeks later how actually just one case of Delta had, had totally inverted New South Wales and sent it into a tailspin. And there was a sense that actually we were too relaxed then and we'll be a bit more cautious now. Same, of course, with the February lockdown in Auckland from last year where, where they had that sort of double dip because um, they, they lifted restrictions maybe a bit more quickly than than the government, they would have in, in a previous sort of scenario. And that was on his recommendation? That, that's correct. That was on his recommendation. It doesn't seem that there was any sort of disagreement about it. But, you know, you can take a look at an instances like that and maybe understand why occasionally, not always, uh, but occasionally ministers would, would come to a different conclusion about the, the right level of caution. Given that he has developed this almost saintly persona, I mean, what has it been like for you as a journalist? You have raised a number of issues and been quite critical. Has it been easy to ask him about this and challenge him on it and get the the response that you need? He doesn't uh, shy away from being asked tough questions. I think he understands that that's part of the job. Um, He has a tendency to try and present things in in quite a an optimistic or rosy manner, which which doesn't always gel with what people maybe on the front lines of the response are feeling. You know, he's been very consistent over the past few months about saying that the health system is is not facing undue pressure, and and that's a very different story uh, from what um, nurses are telling uh, the media, what doctors are telling the media. It's a very different story from you know what the the statistics from the ICU society show. So. There's a, a bit of conflict there, and part of that, I think, is actually trying to do his this public face role I mentioned, right? Where where he's he's balancing the traditional functions of being the director general of health with also, you know, this new position that has been put on his shoulders of actually a lot of people take their advice on how safe the world is from Ashley's words or even from his tone of voice, right? Mm. So uh, he's, he's got that other sort of consideration, but um, that can sometimes conflict with sort of my job as a reporter. I think, uh, you know, over the last two years or so, he's become more like a, a politician in, in ways that are good and that are bad. So probably far more adept now um, at, at, you know, speaking at these press conferences and, and answering answering questions but also he's developed that sort of ability to to answer a question that is somewhat different from the one that is asked. Well as Newsroom's National Affairs Editor Sam Satch Diva says he's sounding more like a politician these days 
So is he interested in that job? Not a jot. Making it very clear at Wednesday's press conference that politics is not his next move. So, you know, at, at that level, that can it can be a little bit frustrating. It, it's understandable, and it's probably a skill that most uh, public servants, chief, chief executives anyway, need to have. But it, it, that does kind of get to that issue of, of transparency. Are we actually hearing everything that's there? And... Uh, you know, operationally, it's been a complex time, right? The, the ministry has been overwhelmed, I think, with with having to deal with the pandemic, you know, as have departments around the world. But, you know, I, I, I think overall, you know, there is good reason why everyone is so positive about the role he and the ministry have, have played in our response, but that doesn't mean there aren't some blemishes on their, on their record. As he's got better at answering things in a sort of, fence-sitting type way that has become more difficult to kind of get things out of him. You know, he's, he's got very good at sort of fudging things and saying, well, I can't answer that. I'll talk about this instead, which, you know, is something you normally hear a politician say. Some journalists might say that, you know, he has become a little bit more obstructive in that way because he has got more natural and more relaxed and kind of worked out how to, to answer things. There have been stories about this problem of uh, transparency. A News Hub investigation has discovered authorities came close to losing control of a COVID outbreak in Auckland four months ago. The initial handling of the August outbreak has been described by experts as totally unacceptable. We do need uh, a highly transparent system which engenders trust. The revelations offer a stark contrast to the official messages given to the public at the time. And I don't know whether it's directed more at the ministry for not getting information readily enough through the Official Information Act, or is it is it Ashley Bloomfield himself who's not being transparent? Well, I mean, the problem with that is that at the end of the day, Ashley Bloomfield is the face and the voice of all of that, right? So, you know, he is answerable to it. Uh, would I say that Ashley Bloomfield is the reason that, you know, information isn't received in a, in a timely manner or, you know, it has gaps in it or uh, however else you want to talk about the lack of transparency? Um, is he at fault for all of that? Well, absolutely not. You know, he has a very specific role which is overseeing a group of people who are responsible for doing that. Now, you could make the point that, as Director-General, he's responsible for making sure that that information is delivered, um, is transparent and is provided in a, in a timely fashion. But I think it would be unfair to sort of lump the full responsibility of that onto one person who, you know, for the most part, is single-handedly fronting a global pandemic and New Zealand's response to it. Looking back over those two years, how would you describe his handling of the pandemic? I think for the most part it, is, it has been good. I think the fact that we've had a Director General of Health who is so across the actual health sector and you know has worked in it, lived and breathed it and you know is a, a medical professional has been incredibly fortunate for New Zealand that he has been in that particular role at the time that we've gone through this. Because to be able to kind of, you know, answer complex questions um, from a medical perspective uh, has has been pretty valuable, I think. You know, I'm not going to say that there hasn't been 
problem areas and you know I've certainly found particular areas where I've really struggled with the answers that I've got and really struggled with the sort of um, lack of preparedness and um, you know ability to kind of learn from mistakes and 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 fix them. Can you can um, you give me an example, Joe? I'd say the thing that I really struggled with the most was the discrepancies with the rollout vaccination, the initial vaccination rollout from one DHB to the next. And, you know, we've heard about the DHB lottery and and that existed, uh, to be fair, before COVID came along. But I think it really put the spotlight on just how some particular regions and some particular people um, have been left really vulnerable as a result of a lack of direction and sort of leadership within the local DHB Mm. and you know whilst we've got a a new reform process coming in and you know that's going to change and and the 20 DHBs will be scrapped during a a pretty critical period of people's lives there has been a real lottery about what you got access to and when and in particular my bugbear has been about the the Māori and Pacific vaccination rollout within that and you know there has been plenty of examples where local DHBs have not had a relationship with and have been unwilling to have a relationship with their local Māori and iwi uh, health providers on the ground. And, you know, that has had a real detrimental impact on the speed of the rollout for some of our most vulnerable people. And I found it frustrating to be beating that drum day after day, week after week, and it also almost becoming a bit of a joke because... Taranaki was one of these areas where it was a real problem and that's my home that's where I'm from that's where my my parents and my family live and you know there was a bit of a joke from not from not just within the press gallery but but ministers that you know how many times is Joe going to say Taranaki in the press conference today Mm. but the the point was that there was a lottery going on there and there were people in that region who were, you know, over the age of 60 who didn't have access to the first dose of vaccine yet when other parts of the country were were well on their way. Did Dr Bloomfield have a responsibility that he, he kind of fell short of here? I just think that if you want to get the best result and he was, you know, every day talking about how important it was to get that vaccination rate up, I think you just do anything and everything. And I think if that meant getting on a plane and going to these regions and actually talking to these DHB leaders themselves, then, you know, I just think that that should have happened. And and it did eventually. Mm. And I didn't find out that he'd actually gone and spoken directly with these um, DHB heads until he pulled me aside after a press conference at one point and we got chatting about it and, and that was when he said that he, you know, had, had been in touch with them. You know, that speaks to the fact that, you know, he wanted to make sure that that message was put across to me. But at yeah. the same time, why did it take that long? Dr Bloomfield, our, our beloved saviour departing, it has to be breaking news, right? <laughs> Even for podcast. Well, you were there at the beginning, like when we first went into lockdown. Were you covering the press conferences back then? Yeah, that's right. What were your first impressions when he started coming on the podium every day? Yeah, it's, it's hard thinking back, actually, because it sort of feels like he's been an ever-present part of the furniture. But mm. um, I think very, very wonky, as he probably still is today, you know, the, a medical type at heart, so, you know, going deep into the weeds around things. But it did have that sort of calm air of 
reassurance, I guess, in the fact that he was so matter-of-fact about things. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of the Christchurch earthquakes. I was a reporter down there when that was going on, and, and the, the mayor at the time, Bob Parker, played a, a similar role in terms of appearing at these these press conferences and reassuring the public. And you obviously had that with Jacinda Ardern, but I think Ashley Bloomfield was a, a, a big part of that. And, you know, I think people have really formed this uh, attachment to him. I remember uh, mid-2020 when the health minister at the time, David Clark, had thrown Ashley Bloomfield under the bus a little bit for some issues around testing protocols not being followed for people in, in isolation. There was that viral video filmed last week. Mr Clark directing blame for the failures to the Director General of Health as Ashley Bloomfield stood quietly in the background. The Director General has accepted that the protocol wasn't being followed. He has accepted responsibility for that and has set about putting it right. There was a sort of big, big furore like, how dare you you treat Ashley Bloomfield like this? It was some line was that it was like kicking a puppy, and I think there were several thousand dollars raised to to buy him uh, a bouquet of, of flowers, which he you know turned down. It was donated to charity in the end. You sort of go, well, hang on, this is a a very well paid, very senior chief executive of a ministry who does have responsibility for operational failings, but it kind of spoke to the degree to which everyone had sort of come to see him as. Yeah, not not just a, a public servant, but almost a friend, weirdly. You know, even today when he was asked what kind of gifts has he been given over the time? Uh, I've had all manner of gifts. In fact, I've got a beautiful uh, handmade cushion that arrived um, just a couple of weeks ago from Henderson Intermediate School Children, so I wanted to do a shout-out to them. And I've seen, you know, there are there the hot, hot sauce brand that was using his face in some of their bottles tea towels. The real tipping point for me was a, uh, you know, uh, for worse, I should say, was a portrait of him sort of in the style of Jesus Christ. And you, you kind of go, really? Is that is that what we want? And, uh, you know, in fairness, I have no doubt he would be immensely and has been immensely embarrassed by all of this. I don't think it's something he's ever sought out. But yeah, it has sort of been strange seeing all this memorabilia, I guess, for a, a sort of a, a very stolid role, I guess. So do you think this will forever change the role of the Director-General of Health? His successor, there'll be big expectations around that person, won't there? Yeah, they are huge boots to fill, so I don't envy whoever it is that steps up. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure whether it will persist. It is a very unique scenario he found himself in and we, we found ourselves in. Um, you know, there is a possibility of of uh, further pandemics. Some have talked about it, and this pandemic is, is far from over, but really that kind of intense focus and intense interest in, in that role, I, I'm not sure whether we'll see that replicated in future. It, mm. it seems more likely to me to be a... Um, sort of a bit of an anomaly in a sense than a, a new status quo. So how would you rate his handling of the pandemic over the last two years? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably go with the, the classic New Zealand answer and say a, a 7 out of 10 or maybe an 8 out of 10. Maybe maybe seven's being too harsh. I think, you know, for the most part, we, we have done incredibly well and you only need to look at how we compare with the rest of the world to... So yeah, that's the case. I think there have been some some issues uh, that have come up around 
testing around MIQ and perhaps those were always inevitable but it's I, I think it's worth noting that he is not perfect uh, nor is anyone else for that matter but I think overall yeah he would have good cause for satisfaction at, at how he has handled the, the last two years in the pandemic. Despite the fact that, you know, there have been journalists who have, you know, asked his resignation and have been highly critical of some elements of the COVID response, fair play to, to Ashley Bloomfield that at the end of both last year and the year before, he accepted an invitation from the press gallery to come to our Christmas party and have a couple of drinks with us all. And I just think that speaks for his character, to be honest. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Joe Moyer, Sam Sachdeva, and Mark Dolder. Mā te wā.